Welcome back to another episode of the Adam Schefter Podcast presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated sportsbook app. On this week's podcast, as we get ready for week 14 of the NFL season, we'll be joined by the defensive coordinator of the San Francisco 49ers, Robert Sala, a man who will be receiving head coaching interviews in the coming weeks. And we'll be joined by the former defensive coordinator, of the Seattle Seahawks, a man who last year was the defensive backs coach and passing game coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys, Chris Richard, whose name also could be called here in the coming weeks. But before we get to Robert Sala, before we get to Chris Richard, first words about another former defensive coordinator, the New York Jets former defensive coordinator, Greg Williams, who was fired Monday morning in a very predictable sequence after allowing a game-winning touchdown pass to Henry Ruggs that was improbable to watch. Of all the moments the Jets have had in recent years, this was as improbable and as crazy as any that they have suffered on their way now to what is potentially an 0-16 season. And if we look at it, Greg Williams, the former defensive coordinator of another 0-16 team, When he was with the Cleveland Browns, he was on track to do it again. And from the moment he allowed that play, to me, it was the defensive equivalent of what we saw back in November of 1978 with the miracle at the Meadowlands when the New York Giants had a lead in the closing seconds, a 17-12 lead. They were in the process of running out the clock against Philadelphia, less than a minute remained. When the team huddled for the last time, the ball at its 29-yard line, the Eagles were out of timeout, so all the Giants had to do was take the snap, kneel down, and run out the game and win it. And instead, the Giants quarterback, Joe Pisarczyk, decides to take the snap and hand off the football, tries to hand it off to Larry Zonka. And instead of giving it to Zonka, he fumbles, Herm Edwards picks up the loose ball, returns it for a touchdown. The Eagles win a game they never should have won when the Giants had to just take a knee and didn't do it. Eagles win 19-17 after our friend Herm Edwards goes 26 yards into the end zone for the improbable winning touchdown with 20 seconds remaining. And at the time, I was almost 12 years old. I lived in New York. And I remember being out to breakfast with my dad the next morning and saying, what are the Giants going to do about that? And the very next day, they fired their offensive coordinator, Bob Gibson. Fired. Well, the Jets allow that game-winning touchdown pass to Henry Ruggs, which nobody could believe, an all-out blitz, which almost never happens in that spot. And sure enough, the next day, the Jets fire Greg Williams. And actually, they probably do him a favor because he would have been fired at the end of the year anyway. So now he gets to go on vacation early, enjoy the holidays with his family while still collecting money. It was inevitable, just as it was inevitable 42 years ago when the Giants fired their offensive coordinator, Bob Gibson. What a week 13 it was, by the way. The Cleveland Browns, they are for real. And we're going to talk to Evan Kaplan, the ESPN analytics and stat guru about the Browns and what they're doing this season. But before we get into today's episode, I want to remind everyone to stay up to date on all sports news every day with ESPN Daily. Monday through Friday, host Pablo Torre brings you an inside look at the most interesting stories at ESPN 
as told by the top reporters and insiders on the planet. The breaking news of SportsCenter, the deep dive storytelling of 3030. Get the very best of ESPN daily. Go download and subscribe to ESPN Daily, as well as the Adam Schefter podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. First up, the former 49ers defensive coordinator, Robert Sala. And let me just say this to you folks right now. When you listen to this guy, you will quickly realize why Michigan legislatures are already lobbying the Lions to hire him and why some team is going to hire him as a head coach in the coming weeks. Without further ado, the defensive coordinator of the San Francisco 49ers, Robert Sala. All right, Robert, thank you very much for the time. Appreciate it. I guess we should start by asking, how is life in Arizona so far? You know what? It's been. It's actually been pretty good. Um, I, I think our logistics uh, people have done an unbelievable job. Uh, I can't imagine it being much better in terms of uh, travel and uh, to and from meetings or to and from the football field for that matter. And then uh, uh, schedule wise, we've been able, uh, Kyle and his staff has been able to make this a very, very seamless transition where Wednesday still feels like a Wednesday and a Thursday still feels like a Thursday. And um, guys are upbeat. They're full of energy. We've had two great, great practices. So, so far, so good. What's it like to have to leave home, not know, when you're going back and be gone, maybe the entire month of December, including the holidays, while your family, I presume, may be back in the Bay Area. Uh, it, it's it's tough. Um, I'd be lying to you if if I said uh, said anything different. You know, we my uh, my ten year old. So I've got six kids, and and my ten year old was just bawling uh, that I was leaving. He's the oldest, so he. Um, was not happy at all that we're, we're leaving for so long. The other ones have no clue, <laughs> right. uh, but the, but it, it, it hurts, especially for the holiday season. I'm, I'm, we're trying, we're trying to find a way to see if we can get them all down here, but it's a lot to ask for the wife to travel with so many. So what did you say to your oldest son? Well, um, you know, he's, he's the man of the house. He's, uh, he's 10 years old. He's, he's got to be man of the house. He's got to be strong and, and understand that, uh, you know, we go to work for many hours because we love them so much and we want to do everything we can to support them. So it's, uh, uh, he gets it. He's a, he's as big a Niners fan as anybody in the world. So, um, but, uh, yeah, it's tough. It's, it's a tough conversation. He understands football, knows the players, grasp all that part of it, Robert. Oh my goodness. Does he ever, he knows <laughs> this is, this is where he's phenomenal. Uh, he can tell you every player's Jersey number and what type of helmet they wear. Wow. Um, 
And he has all their dance moves down. He has it's their handshake, <laughs> everything. I don't know, but he's um, he, he he tells me if we claim somebody, he's like, hey, what numbers are you wearing? And so I'm like, God, if you put that much work into school, you'd be unbelievable, little buddy. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's, that's they, amazing. They sit there, no, it is. They play Madden. They're always talking about the players they got. They go. I mean, he's 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 an impressive young man. So. Are you allowed to bring him around in a season of COVID or he's not allowed to have contact with the guys that you coach? No, they're not allowed to come. There's no family in the in the building. And Kyle, Kyle and John are two of the most family oriented uh, leaders that, that I've been around. We've been, and I've been around some great ones too. And so they're just as good as anyone. And, and so they encourage family. They want family there. So last year he was in the locker room. He'd play basketball with the guys and, uh, uh, be out there watching us go through walk through playing catch with the guys. So he's, you know, he's, um, he's usually present. And so it's, it's been a little different in the fact that there's no kids because we've got such a young staff and there's a lot of young kids and they're always running around playing with one another and they just, they've been locked out. So. Mm, that's a hard thing that I think a lot of people probably don't realize. And you mentioned that you have six kids, six kids and you're 41 years old. Is that it? Any yeah. chance you have any more or what's the situation there? If you don't mind me asking, of course. Yeah. No, you're you're good. We actually we actually got seven on the way. So oh, what? Uh, <laughs> when's the when's the seventh do? Uh, seven's do somewhere in April, God willing. And you know, I always joke. My wife loves me. She just <laughs> <laughs> seven. I got an unbelievable. She's she's a queen, man. She's um she's she's the the foundation that keeps us standing. And um, uh, hats off to her and the and the things that she has to deal with, especially with me uh, on a day to day. I'm like three kids by myself. So, <laughs> well, well, Robert, so let me get this straight. Your wife is back in the Bay Area. She's pregnant and due with your seventh child in April. She's watching six kids and you're coaching in Arizona for the next month or so. Yeah. Yeah. She's, uh, you know, we've got it. We've got a great nanny that helps us out too. But, uh, but that's a, like my, my wife is, she is phenomenal. Um, um, I, I find it hard pressed to believe that there's uh, there's many women in the world that that are built like her and and have the mindset that she does and the way she's working with them on homeschooling and just she grinds every day. I mean, it's you know I get to go to work and uh, she's <laughs> you know it's uh, almost a relief from that from the chaos and she's um, she deserves everything that she has coming to her. So impressive. Now, will that be it? If you don't let me ask you again, because this fascinates me. Like when Philip Rivers ever has a child, that's like big news. He's up to nine, I think. And Ryan's Ryan Fitzpatrick has eight. Like, are we challenging them? Are we going for the, the league lead here, Robert, or what? Uh, you know what? I, I always tell people, um, God will never put you in a situation you can't handle. So if God feels like we should have more then so be it. Do we know that what the seventh is a boy, girl, or we don't know that. So, so number seven is going to be a little boy. Okay. Uh, God will, and a uh, good, healthy young man, but uh, don't have a name picked out yet. I've thrown some names at her. She's not, she's not liking it, but, uh, but we'll, we'll work through it. I'll keep working it. So, you, you know, you know, Rob, <laughs> we could always open up the voting to a poll on this podcast. If you'd like, you know, you want to put out names, we could have the listeners vote on what would be the best name for the seventh solid child. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll ask her, see what we get. I'll, I'll shoot you a text. See if we can get one going. <laughs> <laughs> that would, that would be awesome. Now let me ask this question. We are taping this on Friday, early evening on the East coast. You're getting ready for a Monday night game against the Buffalo bills. But I will say that earlier in the day, and I don't even know if you are aware of this yet, 
because you were at practice, a group of Michigan legislators asked the Detroit Lions owner, Sheila Ford Hamp, to hire you. Were you aware that they circulated this petition to the owner of the Lions to make sure that you're the next Lions head coach? Um, I, I wasn't aware until after practice. Bob gave me a heads up because our press, my presser was today. He he kind of informed me, and uh, you know it's uh, it's flattering and all, but I I would still imagine that the the Lions are going to go through their their due diligence and go through their process and still try to find a way to hire the best men uh, best men for that for that job. But uh, but it, it still comes back to the fact that you know we we've got five weeks left in the season too, and uh, so. Like I said, while it's flattering, my, my mind is solely focused on Monday night and just trying to get our guys ready to play a game and uh, and see if we can make a playoff push. And, and with every week, we get a little bit healthier and healthier. And the longer we linger and the, the better chance we have to, to, to get in the playoffs. And if we get in the playoffs with a with a fully loaded roster, this I think the NFC will be in trouble. So, And that's a great answer. And I appreciate and respect that you're saying it. But I also would be remiss in my job not asking as a native of Dearborn, Michigan, who grew up in the state and played college football in the state and has a family with long ties to Michigan State and the state's football history, if coaching there would mean a little bit more to you in the future if you were fortunate enough to get that opportunity. Um, you know what? It's, I, I really haven't taken time to think about it. I know it's not the answer you want. I, no, I haven't okay. had time to. No, and I just, I just haven't had time to digest that. You know, it's. Uh, I know my 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 family's uber excited. I know friends and high school and and all that. They're all, you know, they blow my phone up every day and they're 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 super excited. But I, I am I am not lying to anybody when I when I genuinely can say that we're. It would be irresponsible for me to to really think about it when there's an organization who's counting on, on every person who's involved in the organization to do the best they can. And if my mind is elsewhere, then there's no way in heck that I could do my best. And so um, I really haven't had time to reflect on, on any of the job openings or, or any possibilities moving forward. It's, it's, it's all been, all my attention has been on, on the Buffalo bills and trying to get us better every, every day. I'm going to ask you a question, a couple of questions about this season. You mentioned the Buffalo bills and being focused. What will it be like for your defense to go up against an offense led by Brian Dayball, whose name also has come up into this head coaching hiring cycle as the offensive coordinator of the Buffalo Bills? Do you know Brian at all? Do you have any relationship with Brian at all? What do you see when you see his offense and have your defense going up against his? So I, I don't know Brian personally. Um, and uh, really, the, the, this week is the first time that I've been able to turn on the tape and watch it and um, from a player standpoint, uh, it's one thing to have the players, uh, the Buffalo Bills have Josh Allen is a phenomenal quarterback. His arm talent is up there with all of them. Uh, he is a big body, hard to bring down. He's extremely athletic. He's fast. He's mobile. He's got great pocket presence. Um, he, he is definitely a superstar, uh, in the making, um, the receivers, Beasley, Diggs, uh, it's a shame they don't have the Brown kid anymore, but, uh, or for, for the next couple of weeks, because he's fantastic. Their tight ends, the backs, uh, Singletary, they're, it is a really, really, really talented group. Um, but I've also seen uh, in this league where there's a talented group of players who just kind of get wasted. And uh, so when you, but when you turn on this tape, I think Brian's doing a phenomenal job with his scheme. Uh, 
They create a lot of different problems. They're using Josh in a way that, that creates more problems than you'd like. Uh, they get everybody involved. Um, and just, just overall the, the, the scheme itself is, uh, is, is very strenuous and, uh, on a defense, there's a lot of strain that gets put on defense. So, um, I may not know him on a personal level, but I have, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Brian and what he's doing with that offense and utilizing, not just taking the talent and, uh, letting him go play, but, uh, there is a definite system. There's a definite identity and, and, and the group is that he has, or he is definitely maximizing that entire group and it showcases every week. These guys are hard to deal with. So, um, it's going to be a challenging week. The other thing I want to ask you about this season, Robert, is it seems like you've lost a key part on your defense on an almost weekly basis. What is it like as a defensive coordinator to see key players, great players, foundational players be lost for the season, for multiple weeks, for whatever it may be? It's it's always tough. Um, when, when a player goes down, I never look at it like, oh, man, another. It's I, I really feel bad for the player. Uh, they, you know, the longevity of an NFL player is so short. And to miss a year, um, to miss a game, it's just it's so, so important for these guys to be on the field and be available because it's they're, they're the longevity of a football player. They're, they're time to make and earn the amount of money that they deserve is that window so short. And uh, and so it, it hurts for them more, more than it does for for me from a coaching standpoint. Um, because the reality is in this league, nobody really feels sorry for anybody. It's the, the NFL doesn't, the NFL train doesn't stop for anybody that it's going to keep rolling. Um, and it doesn't matter what's happening. It's, it's just going to keep chugging along and you're either on the train or off the train. And, um, and so for the guys who fall off the train for lack of a better word, it's, I just feel so bad for them. And I just pray to God that they're able to fight through and find their way back on the train the next year and, and, and pick up where they left off. But it does get frustrating um, when you, when, especially when you mix in the COVID, uh, the, the misses that we've had from COVID and all that. But uh, at the same time, we, it is our job as coaches to, to find a way to put these guys in the best position possible for them to be as successful as possible. And, uh, and knock on wood, we've, John and Kyle have done such an unbelievable job building the depth of this roster that we've been able to uh, weather the storm uh, for the most part as a team. And, and, and we find ourselves still in the hunt, uh, despite everything that's happened. Um, and that's, again, that's really a big credit to Kyle and John and what they've been able to build here and, uh, the roster that that's been built. And so, um, so while it does get frustrating and I, I, I feel for the people who do get injured, these, the guys who have, who take advantage of those opportunities who are, uh, for lack of a better word, next man up or phrase for that matter, it's, the, there's, you know, it's a hats off to them and the advantage of that they're taking of those opportunities. You talk about the roster that was built up in San Francisco and it's a great roster and there's a lot of talent and John Lynch, the GM has done a great job. And Kyle Shanahan to me is one of the best coaches in the game. Love what he does. When you go back to last season and how close you were to winning the Super Bowl, how much does that stay with you? So you, I, I don't know if you've ever heard it, but uh, I think, Everyone in the league, if you ask them, everyone remembers their losses more than they do their wins. Yep. Um, knock on wood, I was I, I was a part of the Super Bowl team that uh, the Seattle Seahawks had beat uh, Den, uh, Denver, and um, and that was cool. But the Kansas City one is the one that I'll never stop thinking about. Uh, it, it seems like with 
seven or so minutes left at third and 15 is when 2020 took a turn, you know, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that, that one always lingers. I, you know, you, you move on obviously, but when, when you have a chance to breathe and you're watching tape and you're just, you know, every once in a while it pops in your head and it's just like, gosh, darn it. Uh, you know, we received our, our championship rings a week or so ago and they're unbelievable. They're so beautiful. And, you know, you can't help but look at it. It's like, man, we're so close, but, uh, but it still doesn't take away from what the guys accomplished. You know, uh, there's, there's still 30 other teams um, that would have loved to be in our shoes, you know, uh, to be on the field on uh, during the Super Bowl to, with a chance to, to be world champions. So um, you never want to take for granted that the fact that we were there, we worked our tails off to get there and we accomplished a lot to get there. And so it does hurt, but uh, it's still a, a tremendous accomplishment to get that far. We're going to go into our own separate ways here for a moment in this question, right? Again, you stay on what is important to you. And I bring up what I'm curious about, but you brought up that third and 15 play where in your mind, 2020 started. And what I would say to that, Robert, knowing your team a little bit, the way that I do would be, what would make that even harder to accept and process and grasp is when you've prepared for jet ship wasp and you've coached up the guys for jet ship wasp and they were ready for jet chip wasp and they still didn't stop jet chip wasp when it came their way right yeah um <laughs> uh, yeah it, 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 you know what i'm saying right robert <laughs> yeah it's the the hard the hard part you know like um we're, we're all in it together so i i always reflect back and, yes. and maybe there was something that i said that that may have uh made something else happen it's you know you the uh, coaches make mistakes, players make mistakes, and you just hope that we're between the the whole team. We're all playing fast enough to overcome each other's mistakes, and uh, and and it happens. Um, and so uh, there's times where, in my mind, I've I've wanted to, I've worked on how I'm going to call a certain part of the game over and over and over again, and I might botch it. I might botch it when that moment comes. It, it happens. Yeah. Uh, regardless of the preparation, and so. Uh, he without sin cast the first stone and, and um, yep. the, the big irresponsibility we have to everybody is whether or not we put people through, you know, we can live, we can live with the result. If we know we worked it, we prepared for it and it just, it just didn't work out. Yep. Um, I'd feel much worse if, if it, if it was the other way where we just, where we never talked about it, we didn't prepare for it and they, and they got us. And so um, I can live with mistakes happening. Uh, because I know that everyone on this team works so hard to get things done and do things right. And, um, and so it's just, it's no one's fault. It's just, just wasn't supposed to happen. You know, so a lot of, res- a lot of respect for that answer. That's, that's a great answer. That's a great answer. And that's a very classy way of saying it. I also would ask you, would like to ask you what you learned during the head coaching interview process last year. I believe last year was the first time you kind of went through it. Correct. It is. It is. Um, you know, I was, uh, I, I really think Cleveland, I, I can't imagine any other team being as thorough as Cleveland, uh, just from what I've heard from other people. Um, I thought uh, Paul and, and Mr. Haslam and J.W. Johnson, I, th- I thought they did such a thorough job in, in the phone calls that were made, the, the background checks, the testing. The I mean, they were it was very, very thorough. And, and uh, you know, to, to be a part of that process uh, for me was – was obviously you, you always learn something. Um, but to, 
to for it to go where it went and for things to evolve the way they did and um i couldn't be more grateful for the opportunity that the that the browns gave me to to put me through that process and uh obviously stefanski is doing a phenomenal job i I know him very well and he's 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 doing fantastic which we all knew he would um but it was it was cool you know to be able to go through that process but uh and uh like i said you know things happen for a reason and uh, but but forever grateful that I was given the opportunity to go through that process. Before I let you go, Robert, and this will be the last question I ask you, if you could look back at your coaching career, your answers are on point. Your philosophy and perspective is on point. Who would you say is responsible for shaping your beliefs, perspectives, your coaching approach? Oh, man, that's an in-depth That's a deep question because yeah. um, there's there's uh, there are so many people um, you know, um, one of the things that I've, I've, uh, I've been blessed with is the opportunity to learn, uh, from many, many different people. And, um, I, every stop that I've had, um, the coaches who I've been around have, have given and, uh, have given me qualities or have shown me the way. And, uh, the, from coach Kubiak at Houston to Pete Carroll. And, uh, and it's not just Pete, when you look at, Ken Norton Jr., Chris Richard, Rocky Seto, um, all the ones that people don't know about, the Gus Bradley. Uh, then you get to uh, uh, Jacksonville, being with Gus as a head coach uh, after being with him as a coordinator. Dan Quinn, I was with him as a coordinator. But when you look at uh, where things took a turn for me the most uh, would be my time in Seattle when when Ch- uh, uh, Coach Carroll and, and Gus Bradley and, and everybody in that room was just so – that there was such a challenge, especially from Pete, for all of us to to discover who we are and and find out what our identities are and what was important to us and and really identify with ourselves. And it was really around that time. And mind you, I'm in my early 30s. I already have a child. Where I really sat back and 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 took the time to reflect on me and uh, and what was important to me and and really just sat back and sat back and watched how everybody operated and. Uh, to create my own self identity. And, uh, but to, to go through the list of people, uh, there's, there's little things that, you know, I've obviously I've, I've become my own person. Uh, but the, the leadership that was, that I was afforded, uh, along the way, especially at Seattle with all those different, different people, you could not ask for a better situation for a, a young early thirties, being a part of that Seattle coaching staff and all the superstars, uh, not as coaches, but as, as men, uh, to, to help groom and, and help someone who was just begging for, uh, knowledge. And, uh, and they, they did not waste a single breath on me. Wow. That's pretty impressive. And again, you're 41 now. So it's amazing. You look back on it and you probably realize now what you're able to learn and how far you've come and how much they influence the coach you are today, correct? Uh, there's, uh, it, it, it teaches, you know, there's, there's two ways to approach young men. And it's, there's the, the first way is to, to make them go get coffee. And the, and the second way is to, to water their plants so they can grow as, as much as possible. And uh, Seattle was the first place that, that taught me that watering a plant is a hell of a lot better. So hmm. couldn't be more thankful. You'll probably pay it forward, I would imagine. Always, always pay it forward. Hey, Robert, I want to thank you very much for taking the time today, taking time out of your schedule in Arizona before you play the Buffalo Bills on Monday Night Football. Really enjoyed talking with you, hearing your approach and your perspective. 
even though I know you're not focused on that, I am for the time being, and we'll be watching <laughs> and charting and monitoring your success during it. Thank you. It's a really cool question you asked me at the end about, you know, Seattle was such an unbelievable place for me um, in terms of just the overall growth. And I, I can get into detail on how each one did another day. But uh, um, when you look at the whole mindset, if you're, if you're really trying to get better every day, you, the whole purpose of life is to find a way to be better than you were uh, when you woke up. You know, there's, before you go to bed every night, are you better than when you woke up? And uh, and if you are, you'll trust the results that come with it. And uh, you never get focused on the result. You never get focused on the moment. Every moment is a championship moment. And if you treat it like so, that you you'll trust the results, good or bad. You know, it's just uh, and you got and you still even even when the result hits, you still got to find a way to to reflect and get better from both. And so, um, it's it is a that has just through reading and learning and, and being a part of that Seattle staff and, and everything I learned, it's just, it has become who I am. And so uh, I've been fortunate, man. I've been, I've been so lucky uh, to, to be around the people I've been around. So it's no one ever does it alone. And those guys have been nothing but, but good for me, you know? Well, again, I'm, I'm glad to finally connect with you. I, I I'm honored. Thanks very much for the yes, time. And good luck on Monday night. First and foremost. Yes, sir. Thank you. Now there is an impressive head coaching candidate. And I thought Robert Sala would be in the mix to get a head coaching job. But after spending time with him on the phone and listening to his approach and philosophy and perspective, I now have no doubt that Robert Sala is going to get a head coaching job in this cycle, that he will be leaving the 49ers, that he is in his final season with that team. I don't think there's any other conclusion that anyone could reach upon listening to somebody who is that impressive in what they do. Before we get to Chris Richard, the former defensive coordinator of the Seattle Seahawks, who also is likely to get head coaching interviews, first want to touch on the 49ers situation. What a crazy situation. So Santa Clara County basically shuts down the area and says no contact sports are going to be allowed here, despite the fact that the NFL has no evidence of any on-field transmission of the virus. And so now the 49ers have to up and leave the Bay Area and move to Arizona and be there until at least December 21st, maybe the end of the season. So this entire organization moves away over the holidays, just leaves, and just think about Robert Sala. Six kids, wife pregnant with a seventh kid, not going to see her till at least December 21st, maybe even after the season, because of what? Because of what? There's testing every day in the NFL. There's no evidence of on-field transmission. It's crazy. But again, the rules are the rules. We're living in the times that we are. I think everybody needs to be as protective as they can about the virus. But in this particular case, I don't know. I don't know. All right. What I do know is that we are now joined by the former Defensive coordinator of the Seattle Seahawks, man who was with the Dallas Cowboys the last couple of seasons, is out of football this year, but who also has interviewed for head coaching jobs and is expected to interview again, Chris Richard. Hello there, Chris. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for the time today. I appreciate it. I don't think we've ever actually spoken. I think this had. This may be the first time. Right? So it's nice to meet you virtually over the phone. On this particular podcast. Thank you. 
No, thank you very much, man. I certainly appreciate it. So tell me what you've been doing with yourself, Chris, being that you were last coaching the Dallas Cowboys defensive backs, you were their defensive play caller, pass game coordinator, but you've, I guess, taken the season off for lack of a better phrase. What have you been doing? And bring us up to date on yourself. Well, full-time dad. I, uh, <laughs> That's a tough job. That it's about, it's about as, as hard as it could be, no question. But uh, no, like uh, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed the time off. Obviously, you know, it's a, um, I mean, football has been a part of our lives here. My children have, have never essentially known me outside a life not dealing with the NFL. So it's kind of yeah. a first time deal for, for, uh, for everybody around here more in particular for the children. But I mean, I guess that's kind of how 2020 has been. You know, it's kind of the uh, the new normal, as, as uh, we like to call it around here. And um, hopefully it won't stay that long or, or stay this way for that long. Essentially. How many children do you have, Chris? And what's it like being a full-time dad? Well, I have three. And so, what's the uh, age range? Uh, 14, 12, and eight. Wow. Okay. So what's it like being home with a 14, 12, and an eight? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I, they're they're really really good kids so it's it is easy and um i'll start with my daughter she's the oldest and um I, she's she has a remarkable heart of, about her and um she's as sweet as can be but she's got a little edge to her now i, I don't know where that <laughs> edge comes from uh, you know like she she can be a bit edgy at mm. times um, you know, especially when things kind of aren't go going her way, when her brothers are considered, yep. um, you know, the, uh, the middle child, I think it's a, uh, he's a product of the, uh, the, or, or, or at least he suffers from the middle child syndrome <laughs> and you know, that, uh, that, that middle child syndrome is you can, you can bother on two different levels here. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah. not only do you what know what buttons to press with the oldest one, but you also know what buttons to press with the younger one. So really I find my time kind of being the referee <laughs> a lot of times around here and um, trying to uh, delegate the, uh, the punishment and severity. <laughs> uh, no, all jokes aside though. Um, I, I would say the, uh, the eight year old is probably the ringleader. And um, if there's any mischief going around, he's uh, more than likely the one who's involved. And he's probably his idea. So needless to say, they're, uh, I guess they're doing everything that they're supposed to be doing, um, which is drive their parents crazy. So yeah. kids aren't driving you crazy. It's like they're not doing something right. Well, that's what it's like, right? Being home and everybody's working from home. Most people are working from home. They're around their kids. I've got a 12-year-old daughter. Mm -hmm. She's going to school at home and has been doing so since March and so it's challenging, I think, for the kids. It's challenging for the parents. It's challenging for our country. It's challenging for everybody that is in that particular situation. Being home yeah. with your three children, does that make you want to return to coaching more? Or does it want you to be, or does it make you want to be home even more? Show me the line. I'm getting back in the coaching line. I'm ready. <laughs> and raised high. Uh, but I, I, I will tell you this, you know, like um, we're we're here in Texas and uh, we, we, we remained in Texas and, you know, like our our like they've gone back to school. Wow. And I, I would have to 
really commend the uh, the district out here in regards to uh, the safety and protocol that uh, that they've been following. Um, we've had no issues whatsoever. Uh, that we thank God for that. Uh, the kids are, I mean, they're, they're going to school daily, and you know, they're wearing their mask and and doing things properly. And uh, I mean, I, I think that's just a testament to kind of you know, the fortitude, the fortitude of people when they really kind of set their minds to things. And they're like, we're talking about children here. And, you know, like they were ready, they were ready to get out of the house. And, and, um, and obviously if you're looking to do so and you want to do so, like the easiest thing to do is just be compliant, you know, and, and wear the mask, keep your hands clean and, and, and do as much right as you can for as long as possible. So, you know, like they, they've been in class, man. So uh, they, mm. they cut all the Zoom stuff out and, and all the homeschooling and, and they, they've been on campus. Now you, my understanding is turned down several coaching opportunities for this season. Yeah. How difficult was that to do? It, it's difficult. It, and it, it was difficult. And I say the hard, the hardest part is, is, you know, my, my, my ultimate goal and really daily goal is to affect as many people as I possibly can positively that, that that's obvious. Um, and kind of when, when, when you pull yourself out in the, in the fashion that I did, um, obviously you're not going to have the opportunity to do that. And, you know, a big thing for me is, is, the the daily interactions are just huge like they're 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 huge and they're so meaningful mm. because it's it's really a fantastic opportunity to really make each and every single interaction uh transformational man you know like and mm. i think we as we as coaches like we 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 have that that type of ability like we have that type of power to be able to influence these guys so positively so positively and to where it's going to make a difference daily. And, you know, I think a lot of our guys throughout, throughout time, you know, especially in kind of this athletic realm, you know, so many of the interactions or, or, I mean, they're, they're really kind of, let's see here, instead of being transfer, they're more transactional. Mm -hmm. I think I'll put it like that. They're more transactional. Like what, what can you do for me? And and it should and it certainly shouldn't be that way. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of really what I'm, I'm I'm missing the most is it's it's really the interaction and uh, essentially doing my best to make sure that they're transformational rather than transactional. Hmm. So you don't get to transform these lives other than the three children you have at home right now. You get to transform their lives. What about that? Do you miss most? And have you had any interaction with anybody of any of your former players? From your time in Seattle, you're in Seattle as the defensive backs coach and the defensive coordinator from 2010 through 2017, then in Dallas for two seasons. Have any of the, any of your former players reached out to you this season? Have you reached out to anybody, or has it just been coaching up the three kids at home? Well, I'll tell you, we'll, we'll start with the three kids at home. See, the, the problem with the three kids at home is I'm just dad, <laughs> right? So, Oh, yeah, I know that feeling, yep. Yeah, so just dad doesn't know anything. I can't relate. <laughs> so we, we never know anything, Chris. We never no, know anything, right? No, you never know anything. And uh, like my, my son just finished his first year, my 12-year-old 
just finished his first year of tackle football. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think, you know, kind of getting that, you think you got all this stuff, great stuff for him and all these great coaching points. And, you know, and, I, and I've kind of found out throughout the years that they really don't want to hear it, not from me. And, and I'm happy with that. I, I am. I, I am happy with that because I would, I would much rather be the supportive father in the stands than some type of overbearing helicopter dad trying to make sure they do everything right because it's really not that important. Our relationship is um, much more vital than any type of athletic ability or what I think I can contribute to their sports lives. So, but I, I do find it, you know, pretty comical that, I mean, my, my daughter is a track runner. My wife ran track. You know, obviously I, I played tons of sports, but professional football, and we don't know anything about anything and we can't relate. So <laughs> I get it. I get it. Um, as far as the, uh, the, uh, my, my old guys go, man, like, yeah, no, I still, I still hear from tons of them. I still, I still hear from a lot of them. Um, you know, like the, the relationships that we have the ability to form, like they're real. And, and again, like it's all, it's all a part of it. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, kind of the, uh, the, the, the transformational mentality, I think this is where it sort of pays dividends because, you know, like nobody's guaranteed to finish their career wherever they start, mm-hmm. but you do have the ability to formulate as many meaningful relationships as you seem fit wherever, wherever, excuse me, as you deem fit, wherever you, wherever you stop. So whether it's Seattle, Dallas, or Lord knows where next, you know, like uh, those type of meaningful relationships will be formed. So yeah, it, it, it means a lot to me when I'm able to hear from those guys. And obviously, you know, the, uh, the lines of communication are a two way street. So, you know, I, I can reach out whenever I'm ready and they can reach out whenever they are ready. Is there anyone in particular individual that you have kept in touch with that you wouldn't mind sharing with us? Somebody that you've had any kind of regular communication with this season, a former player of yours? Wow. It's, um, I mean, it's, it's so, it's so many of them. Um, well, I, I will, I will say the one that I, well, because he, he's retired now. So it's, it's a whole lot easier for us to stay in communication is uh cam chancellor. So he's, 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 yeah, he's the guy that, uh, that I, I will say that I uh, stay in contact the most. You mentioned Lord knows where you'll be next year. Could mm-hmm. you even venture a guess, any insight as to where you might be? Other than I would imagine you definitely do want to coach. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but no, there's 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 no insight. There's uh, there's no idea right now. Um, you know, my my ultimate goal is uh, to be a head coach in the NFL, and um, that's I mean I'm that's something that I will pursue. Um, Obviously, you know, there, there are particular steps that, that, uh, that need to, to happen and or take place in order for uh, those, those dreams and, and that goal to come to fruition. But, um, I mean, that, that's what we compete for, you know, and that's what we battle for. And, um, and really, essentially, like, that's, that's why the daily grind is, is worth it. So, you know, like, uh, I've been preparing. I've been preparing for that day for a long time. And when it comes, I say I'll, I'll, I'll be prepared. So when and if, I'll be ready. 
41 years old right now, Chris. So mm-hmm. I don't know whether this opportunity will come this year or next year or in five years or whenever, but what kind of head coach will you be if and when you were to get that opportunity? Wow, man, I, I tell you, the uh, the 41 thing kind of struck me right there because I got, I got to be honest with you, Chef D, I mean, like, I ain't seen a day over 28 yet, you know? <laughs> it, it creeps up quick on you, Chris. As a guy who's about to turn 54 this month, I can tell you, oh. man, it, the, the days go slow and the years go fast. <laughs> so, like, I'm, I'm still waiting, man. Like, no, but, like, uh, I, I, I do realize that fact. And, and happy birthday for, for when that day comes. Thank you. you. Um, but, yeah, no, man, like, I think um, – kind of the age, the age thing is a metabolism. Like, like I'm, I'm, I'm serious, you know, like when, when I turned 28, man, like I, I turned the clock off. Right. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It's like, um, I know what I'll bring every day is energy and enthusiasm, uh, a fantastic spirit, a, um, I think a, uh, an unfazable optimism mm-hmm. and a love for the truth which ultimately kind of if you if you if you think about it in this fashion you know like the the uh, the beauty the beauty of love right and I, and I say that and you know love love's a complicated word it's a complicated thing um to simplify that i i think uh you can just say committed so it's uh it's a it's a commitment and um committed to each and every single person in the building and and as we talk about love is you know then comes truth which do you love someone enough to tell them the truth daily and um yeah you know it's kind of one of those deals to where you uh, I'm, I'm a firm believer in uh people that can think independently and, and, and critically and you you have to be able to utilize those tools and assets to your benefit each and every single day so love man it's a powerful thing um, I think you can liken it to a river and the love flows just like a river flows. And the more that you pour in, just like a river, right? A river is a beautiful thing, but the more water that goes into that river, then it floods. And then the flood becomes devastating. Then all of a sudden that river just became a dangerous thing. So with the embankments of truth and discernment, see the more love that you pour in, the more truth and discernment that you also bring along with it. So the truth and the discernment is what keeps the water all in flow. The more love, the more truth, the more discernment, and those are the embankments that keep the love in check. Is there a lack of truth at the NFL coaching level, Chris? I haven't been everywhere and I don't, I don't know that Um, at the, at, you know, I'm, I'm responsible for what I do and how I do it. And I think more times than not, the, the coaches that have more reverence, (laughs) more, more love from their players are the coaches who are willing to share the truth with their players. So, and, and again, it's, that's the truth in love. So 
the delivery does have a lot to do with it. Um, but um, is there, I mean, I, I, I don't know that. You know, I don't know that. And I'm okay saying that I, I don't know that. Um, but I know what's what's best. And at the end of the day, again, I, here I am, I'm gonna touch back on the, uh, the idea of interactions being transformational or transactional, the coaches who are more in tuned and who are more focused on having relationships that are transformational also have the ability to share more truth. In your time as a graduate assistant at USC, then in Seattle, your time in Dallas, who was effective at doing that? Who did you watch and admire and respect and learn from that you saw do these things that you hope to do and impact young lives? Who did this that you learn from? Um, it, it, it was actually, you could take it all the way back to my father and to my uncle. Mm. And this started all the way back in 1987. So, right. So there I am, right. So we already, I'm 41. So I just aged myself. In 1987 was my first year of playing contact football. Like I'm seven years old at this time. And it was really through those experiences that I kind of formulated my identity within the game, uh, being able to think the game, um, um, being able for, you know, like establishing the relationships and, I mean, and, and, and utilizing the, the tool of football, you know, and uh, I, I, have, I have to credit them. And, um, and it really, again, it started from the beginning, man. Like I had a fantastic experience as a child um, and that's really, that's all I've wanted to pay forward yeah. is the amount of fun and the amount of love and really the amount of success. Like I grew up playing, um, in Orange County, right. Junior All-American football. And, uh, like I started out playing in Fullerton and I ended up, uh, my, uh, my pop uh, against Junior All-American, but I ended up playing, uh, Carson. So I finished up in Carson and you know, we had some some pretty good teams and it really, really was just, it started and ended with uh, with discipline and it was the duty, man. Like the duty within that discipline is where like you, you, you find the fun, right? Cause like you take a look at football and you go like, man, like football is about fun and go out there and have fun. Well, what's fun about football, All right? You go, you take back and you go, well, it's winning. Right. So winning is 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 fun about football. And absolutely. Right. Like there, there's a huge element of truth to that statement right there. Like, absolutely. The winning in football is fun. But. You got to be careful of that, because if you think about it in a in proper perspective, winning and losing are really the same. They're really the same thing. Now, you enjoy winning more than you do losing. But if you're just solely focused on winning, then you kind of lose like touch with how, how to. So it's 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 the process that leads to winning, it's in, which is fun, right? So it's, again, that, that's all about process. So if you wanna have fun, you wanna have success, then be detailed oriented and be locked into the process. And I, I, I found that out at a very young age. It sounds like you learned a lot from your dad, Chris. What would you say that 
you learned about the game during your time away from it this year? Um, oh man, I, I would say that um, that I think we're I think we're doing it the right way, and because it's what the time away from it is making me feel and like, yeah, it's, it's time to, it's time to get back in and kind of walk worthy of the calling. So if you, you know, like, I don't know, like it feels like, it just feels like a calling, like, like you meant to do it, like something that you meant to do, something that you're supposed to be doing. And I feel that way. And, um, and I certainly want to make sure that I'm walking worthy of that. Yeah. As I think about this too, Chris, and I see that you were with Dallas the last couple of years, I'm just curious to know what it's like when you're an assistant coach in a place where there seem to be calls for the head coach's job on a weekly basis. It seems like Jason Garrett's future dominated conversation for a long period of time. When you are an assistant coach on a staff like that, do you tune out that noise? Do you hear it? Does it have any impact? I'm just curious to know what that's like from the seat you were in the last couple of years. Yeah, the the number one thing to do is to absolutely tune it all out. It is to absolutely tune it all out. Um, obviously, again, being a, a little bit more old school, I think it's easier to do that, uh, you just take a look around, you know, like right, we're, we're, we're from the era or, you know, and again, I'll speak for myself. Like there was a point in time to where you had to stop at a phone booth if you wanted to make a phone call, right? Like we still had rotary phones and things of that nature to deal with. And I think, uh, right. It's like the sidekicks and pagers and things like that. Right. So like that, that, that's how the technology, working towards this day and age has, has, has really changed. So yes, tune it all out. Uh, the coaches, the players, everyone in the building, tune it all out. How difficult is that? Extremely, hmm. extremely. And it's because everything is so accessible nowadays, oh, yeah. um, you know, and, and, and we all know that and we understand that and, and right. So it's like, it's the whole deal to where you can, be speaking on the phone and say one thing and next thing you know your facebook and all this other all your all your other accounts are filled in with what you were talking about like how weird is that so mm. you know and it's kind of one of those deals to where uh, especially more in particular being in dallas you know you're kind of the um you know focal point right focal point of the nfl it's america's team and all that stuff and i can't think of a day to where like that organization is not talked about so right wrong or indifferent it, you know it's a hell of a marketing tool uh, for ownership and um, everything of that nature and really you really have to be locked in um coaching and playing there um because the i'll say the uh, the the air the air of critique is is amongst you and, and it's on you daily um you know one one thing that i was kind of able uh, again, stepping back this year and really taking those those two years into account was yeah you know like how I, you know like it's it's not fair right and it's against the whole story right life life's not fair yep um 
Jason Garrett's a hell of a football coach. He is a hell of a football coach. He's a better person. He's a better man. Hmm. And you won't know that. You won't realize that because, again, the general public, they're not concerned with that. Okay, right? They just take a look at the football team. They want the football team to get certain things done. And that's it. And, and, and at some point in time, it's either you're doing the job or you're not. So, again, if you think about it in that fashion, then ultimately what is coaching really about is, you know, a lot of times you're, you're held accountable for ultimately what you're not responsible for. And you, you, you can't control what guys are letting in or the little things that are leaking in and all this different type of stuff. And then at some point, you know, the call for your job every single day in the media uh, or, or television, what, again, whatever it may be, um, hell, it may, I, I, I think it, it can kind of weaken your stance at, at some point because, you know, it just, it just, it, it, it Let's in too much stuff. And, and again, and that's where the coaches and players alike really have to be locked in and tuned in to cutting all the noise off, you know, and it's eliminate all the possible distractions that you can. How much attention do you pay to what's going on in the league this year? Will you watch games on Sunday? Are you tracking it during the week? How much attention you pay to it? Man, it is exhausting. I can't believe how much work it is like, diving into everything and kind of taking a look at the entirety of the league, you know, and it's, it's, it's one thing when you're, when you're sitting in your office, right. From 6.00 AM all the way to 10 PM. Um, and you're able to do that and things are a little bit more accessible, but kind of when you're just dealing, you know, with your DV sport on your iPad and you know what I mean? You got the network, you got ESPN, you're checking out, you're checking out all the games and, and all this different type of stuff, man. It's like, I'm ready for a nap, you know, but, <laughs> Uh, especially on Sundays, right? So it's like by, by the time the, uh, the the first series of games go on, the afternoon games go off, like I'm yeah. ready for a sandwich and a nap. And like there's just so much turning back and forth and, and, and trying to check everything out as much as possible. So, you know, absolutely been in tune. Um, yeah, and again, right, you, got, you, got, you just got to stay sharp. Yeah, you know, you know what's funny about that? We – Used to at ESPN do the Sunday pregame show, Sunday NFL countdown, and then we'd go to this war room, what we call the war room, where right. there would be about 10, 11, 12 giant TV screens. And so anytime we'd get a coach or player in there, particularly a coach, like I remember John Fox being mm. in there, like he walked in there and he could not believe what happens on a Sunday. Like all this is happening and he's watching everything. And you're in your own little coaching world when you're coaching with a team and you don't realize everything that's going on with all these games across the league. And any coach that I've seen come into ESPN and sit in that war room, they, their, their minds are blown by all the activity on a Sunday. Right. Like it's amazing. Like just, just imagine, right. Like there's, there's a different situation happening in each and every single game in all these different moments. And I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm battling, man. Like I'm competing. I'm trying to catch them all. Cause again, ultimately the game, the game is about situations. And um, I just want to make sure that, that we tie it in, but, uh, but yeah, no, man, like it's, I've, 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 it's, it's been a blast, you know, like it's, it's, it's been a blast of uh, just trying to see everything and catch everything and, and just, just watch how the league is going. Well, Chris, I appreciate you taking some time today. 
away from your three children. Hopefully we'll get the chance to see you back here in the league very soon. I wish you the very best of luck during the interview process. And hopefully one of these things will work out the way you want it to work out. All right, right on, man. I certainly appreciate you. Thank you again. And there he is, Chris Richard, who's expected to get some interviews as well during this head coaching cycle, who's interviewed before and will interview again. It's that time of the year, of course, where we're talking about the head coaching cycle. And it's that time of the year again, where we're getting ready for the NBA. There is nothing that gives me any more joy and escape at this time of the year than fantasy basketball. And last week, Field Yates, my colleague at ESPN, who's in the NBA War Room League, drafted manually the NBA draft lottery. I got, for the first time ever, the number one overall pick. I cannot describe the level of happiness this has brought me over the last three or four days. It's unreasonable and unwarranted, but it shows you how passionate I am about NBA fantasy basketball that I got the number one pick. And so my number one pick, as soon as I got it, I texted the head coach of the Dallas Mavericks. And I said, tell me that our guy is healthy and ready for the season. And he texted back and he said, looked pretty good today. And I thought, Luka Doncic is about to join per sources on the NBA fantasy basketball beat. I am fired up to have Luka be a part of my team with the number one pick in a 14-team league. He will go number one. I will have the 28th and 29th selections as well, already plotting who I'm going to take there. But that draft is Thursday, December 17th. So there's still time for that. For now, we're getting ready for week 14. And for week 14, that means only one thing, our next guest. Joining us now, my friend, my colleague, the ESPN stats and analytics guru, Evan Kaplan. And Evan, we are taping this midday Monday. So we are about to finish up the remaining slate of week 13, three games left. But that doesn't preclude us looking ahead to four big AFC matchups mm-hmm. in week 14. We've got the Chiefs and the Dolphins. Yep. We've got the Steelers and the Bills. We've got the Colts and the Raiders. And we've got the Ravens and Browns on Monday night football. What stands out to you about those four big AFC matchups in week 14? Yeah, I think, Adam, we start with the defending Super Bowl champion Chiefs heading to Miami where they won Super Bowl 54 last season, right? Uh, pretty cool that they'll be able to return to that stadium. And now they get to face a Dolphins team, which is, you know, having one of their best seasons, it feels like in decades. And mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes potentially going up against Tua Tunga Bailoa, two top 10 picks. And Mahomes has absolutely dominated top 10 quarterbacks in his career, 13 and three against quarterbacks who are picked in the top 10. 36 touchdown passes, eight interceptions. It seems like every week on this podcast, we find a different situation where Patrick Mahomes' numbers are off the charts. And this is the one I dug up this week. Uh, And then I think as we get into the matchup a little bit more, which, you know, what we'll do certainly on countdown next week is Patrick Mahomes against Brian Flores and the defense. So he faced the, the Patriots twice in the 2018 season when Flores was kind of the de facto DC and, and leading that defense along with Bill Belichick, uh, the, the Patriots won both games. Mahomes had pretty good numbers. They lost 43, 40 during the regular season, 37, 31 in overtime in the, in a classic AFC championship game. But it was interesting what Brian, Brian Flores did in terms of man coverage in that game. So as you're watching, as 
everybody's watching the game next Sunday. Keep an eye on that. They were able to slow Mahomes down with man. They played it almost 70% of the time. Dolphins still play man over 50% this year. So that's certainly one of the matchups to watch in that game. As you move on to some of the other games, I think Colts Raiders is fascinating when you talk, talk about the AFC wildcard race and think about Adam in on Sunday in week 13, how close these two teams were to losing and how their fortunes were flipped so quickly, right? The Colts, it, and it happened almost in the span of a minute. The Texans were going in for what would have been the game-winning touchdown against the Colts. Deshaun Watson in the center, they fumbled the exchange. Colts recover, they win. A minute later, we know, everybody knows by now what happened with the Raiders-Jets game. So yeah. a minute later, Derek Carr throws the game-winning touchdown to Henry Ruggs. So now those teams meet in a game with huge AFC wildcard implications. I just find the connection between how they won their Week 13 game to now meeting in Las Vegas in a game that certainly we might look back on in a few weeks and say, oh, the Raiders beat the Colts in Week 14. That's why they're a wild card. I'll tell you what. I look at all these games, and you're right about everything you say with Mahomes. Every week we put on the guy. Every week it's a different feat, a different accomplishment, different numbers that impress you. And the Dolphins have been tremendous. Brian Flores, as we've said here before, is a legitimate coach of the year candidate. The Dolphins are one of the great stories of this season. Just really tremendous to watch them. But of all these matchups this week, honestly, that Ravens-Browns Monday night football yeah, matchup, absolutely, it really intrigues me because I'm going to assume Baltimore bounces back on Tuesday as we tape this midday Monday. Mm-hmm. And if Baltimore bounces back, they're one game out of the wild card chase for a playoff spot. But Cleveland has made some real noise here. And so the Browns are in second place. They look like they're going to the postseason. It's the best start since their head coach was Bill Belichick in the mid-1990s. But again, I would say to you, what do we make of the Browns and how legitimate and real they are? I think, Adam, that is the least talked about story in the NFL that should get more attention. The Cleveland Browns haven't made the playoffs since 2002. Okay? Like, that's almost two decades. And this team is now nine and three. And it's weird. It's almost like, oh, well, you know, they're nine and three. And then the Steelers are great and the Chiefs are great. But, you know, I, I think we should be talking about the Browns more than we are. And what I make of them is what you saw Sunday is Kevin Stefanski's offense coming together the way I don't even think he could have envisioned it coming together like this because they have the running attack with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. You know, best rushing offense in the NFL. And now when you can add Baker Mayfield play action, they've been rolling him outside the pocket all year, certainly all already more than he did. He had more he had more uh, attempts outside the pocket in like week six than he had all of last season. So they're getting Baker on the move. He's not turning the ball over. He has seven interceptions this season. He had 14 through 12 games last season. So he's taking care of the ball. They have Miles Garrett on the defensive side. I think what this team has shown is that they can beat, you know, they have the formula that can potentially beat a lot of the top teams in the AFC in the playoffs. Now, we always have to remember you're making the climb, right? Baker Mayfield's only in his third year. Like I mentioned, this team hasn't seen the postseason since 2002. So I don't know that anyone's expecting them to make a huge run in the AFC playoffs. But if you talk about the formula, what do we always say in January? Getting after the quarterback. Yep. Miles Garrett and the defense certainly can do that. Run the football to control the clock. The Browns can certainly do that. And now you've got Baker Mayfield, 
who has formed a great connection with Jarvis Landry, one of the most underrated receivers in the league, in my opinion. And this is a Browns team that's exciting. I think, you know, facing the Ravens on Monday Night Football, the, you know, obviously the, the team that the Ravens used to be the Browns and left went to Baltimore. So there's a ton of layers with this one. Uh, I agree. I think the Ravens will get back on track Tuesday. And this is, I mean, week 14, Ravens, Browns in the wild card race, Cleveland nine and three. We, when, we, when the Monday night football schedule yeah. came out in May, we, we couldn't have hoped for something better than this. Yeah, it's funny because when you saw that schedule that you're referring to, you would not have looked to week 14, Monday night, December 14th, Baltimore at Cleveland as one of the marquee matchups. Yeah on the Monday night football docket, but it really has been. And I know a few weeks ago, I looked at the Monday night schedule and I thought, wow, Rams bucks. That's a really compelling matchup. I, I just, this Ravens Cleveland game to me is really interesting. And Baltimore crushed Cleveland earlier in the year. Right. And so now this is yeah, going to be, I think the ultimate barometer of how far the Browns have come, how far they can go this year. And I think there's no denying that Kevin Stefanski, we talked about Brian Flores, has done an unbelievable job. Yep. The Browns are relevant. They're real. It's exciting. And we get to watch them on Monday Night Football, which should be fascinating, right? Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And and what's always fun when you have a big primetime game, certainly for us Monday Night Football games, is you have teams or players coming off a great performance. And that's what we get with Baker Mayfield, right? Four touchdown passes in the first half in Week 13 against the Titans. Uh, he's thrived on the play action game. So it'll be fun. It's always fun kind of leading up to a huge matchup that you've got teams playing well, players playing well. So I'll be looking forward next Monday night to us uh, really highlighting how great the Browns have been. Well, Evan, we will see you in the studio next week for Monday night Ravens at Browns. Thank you for the time and the insight today. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Evan. Sounds good. And so there's Evan Kaplan on week 14. We also will look back at the past week in which Tyree Kill called me out, me, and challenged me to a race. And we're going to do this for charity post-COVID, which I can't wait to do. I mean, I'm happy to look silly and foolish because it means we'll be past the virus and it means we'll be generating money for a charity, in which case I will be raising money for, he doesn't even know this yet, JDRF, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. My wife is a type 1 diabetic. We've done a lot of work for JDRF. We will continue to do work for JDRF. And when Tyreek Hill and I get to race, it will be on behalf of JDRF. And I can't wait to be embarrassed and to be schooled and to have him blow past me and make me look as silly as I will look at that point in time. But again, it'll be for a great cause. And what's also interesting about it is ever since he called me out on GetUp on ESPN and said, I want you, Shefty. I want to race you. I can't tell you the limited amount of people that I've seen over the last week. Everybody stops me and says, when are you racing Tariq? When are you racing Tariq? Well, I don't know when it's going to be. You tell me. My guess is maybe in the summer. Again, post-COVID. But it's going to happen. And it's going to be for a great cause. And I look forward to seeing Tariq in person post-COVID. All right. I want to thank our guests this week, the defensive coordinator of the San Francisco 49ers, Robert Sala. Outstanding. I want to thank Chris Richard, the former defensive coordinator of the Seattle Seahawks. Great job. I want to thank my great producer, Christina Buswell, for putting up with me and putting together this podcast. And I want to thank you, the listeners, 
for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast here. We appreciate you tuning in each week to allow us to bring you some information, interviews, insight, whatever in stuff we possibly can. Until next week, everybody, be well, stay safe, and we'll see you back in this spot next week.